Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by a very special guest and a guy I've known for, geez, probably going on six to seven years now. I've seen him at conferences, on stages, just around in the same circles for years until we finally sat down at a very special dinner in Toronto with Brian Kurtz, UJ Ramadas, and a few other very elite experts. Let me tell you, you guys are in for a treat. He's an Emmy Award-winning director and producer, as well as a top agent to celebrity experts around the world for his role in developing and marketing businesses and professional experts through personal branding, media, marketing, and PR. Nick is recognized as the nation's leading expert on personal branding. He's Fast Companies Magazine's expert blogger on the subject and lectures regularly on the topic at major universities around the world. His book, Celebrity Branding You, is an easy and informative read, also used as a textbook in a few university courses, which is pretty cool. The CEO and Chief Storyteller at the Dix Plus Nanton Celebrity Branding Agency with more than 1,800 clients in 33 countries, Nick is an award-winning director, producer, and songwriter who has worked on everything from large-scale events to television shows with the likes of Steve Forbes, Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, Michael Gerber, Tom Hopkins, Dan Kennedy, and many more. He's recognized recognized as one of the top thought leaders in the business world and has co-authored 30 best-selling books alongside Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield. Dan Kennedy, Dr. Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI, Jay Conrad Levinson, author of the Guerrilla Marketing Series, Super Agent Lee Steinberg, and many others. Nick has led the marketing and PR campaigns that have driven more than a thousand authors to bestseller status. He's been seen in USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Business Week, Inc. Magazine, The New York Times, Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, FastCompany.com, and has appeared on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox television affiliates around the country, as well as CNN, Fox News, CNBC, and MSNBC from coast to coast co-founder of the National Academy of Bestselling Authors, a 16-time Telly Award winner. He spends his spare time working with Young Life, downtown Credo Orlando Entrepreneurs International, and rooting for the Florida Gators with his wife Christina and their three children, Brock, Bowen, and Addison. I've asked Nick to join us today and share what he can in an hour about how we can all build our businesses using these time-tested and proven techniques I've witnessed him use for almost a decade now. So Nick, thank you for joining us, for, uh, my friend. I really appreciate your time. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I um, sorry for all the pomp and circumstance on the bio, but as we will get into talking about, you know, people only know what you tell them. And uh, I would prefer not to talk about all the things about myself. But it's important people know them, or else you know they're like, why am I listening to this guy? So um, there's a reason for everything. Uh, but now, obviously, when people hear my bio, read my bio, meet me at events, and have read my bio, there's something in there for everyone that they want to talk to me about, whether it's how I know Steve Forbes or you know how I on tv or whatever it is and so um while it was a little long uh it's illustrative we'll yeah. call it well no and i and i'm I, you know and i would have edited it down and i did edit it um to at least fit me because I, I think all that stuff is important i totally get it it's the same way it's the same way like with me like you 
nobody really wants to feel like you know our egos are through the roof like we're so narcissistic but people right. need to understand the value that you can bring because it's so easy like one of the things that frustrates me um is like when i'll meet someone and I, you know i'll have a client that will literally pay me thousands of dollars for help with something and i'll help them with that problem and then i'll meet someone and it's like an old friend from school or whatever and i give it to them for free and they're just like, wow, that's cool. And it's like there's no value associated with it. So I think it's really just important yes. just to document the track record because, you know, you could charge thousands of dollars literally for what we're going to talk about on this call here. And something that everyone that's listening needs to know is there's no magic room. Like you're not going to tell me some stuff and we're going to hang up and you're going to go, all right, now, Daryl, here's the real secrets. You know, like right, that, just, right. that just doesn't exist. So, um yeah. No, you're right. And one thing that I think is a, a great point, too, is that, you know, I do obviously a lot of work in branding and more specifically personal branding. And a lot of people tell me like, oh, man, I hate that personal branding stuff. I, I just don't feel comfortable talking about myself all the time. And and my reply to that is, well, if you're good at it, you never have to talk about yourself. Like, I didn't have to say a single thing about it. I mean, people see it from my videos, website, like they, they know what's happening because of the way we've built the machine. So I, I like to dispel that myth, too. Yeah, yeah, very true. So how did you even get started in all this? I mean, were you born into an entrepreneurial family? Do you, do you come from a background? Were you like a kid entrepreneur selling Avon from door to door? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Wow, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. We might spend an hour there, but I mean, so I, I guess all of those things are true. And, and um, I was talking to one of my mentors and actually clients, uh, Dan Sullivan, the mm-hmm. other day, and he said, you know, we were, I was talking about how, you know, I was talking about my parents and how my my parents weren't all that entrepreneurial. Although my dad's had, my parents have had some of their own businesses in life, but they're not like certainly. I think I have more of a I have more of an entrepreneurial you know clicker than they do. But he said, well, Nick, by nature of what they did for you, they are entrepreneurial because they we're from an island called Barbados and they moved you know our whole family moved up together. And he said, you know, just the fact that they wanted something more for you and your brother. I have one brother, you know, that that alone. And, and he made me see that as entrepreneurial as well. So yeah, I would say I come from an entrepreneurial family. My mom's side of the family is extremely entrepreneurial. My dad's side of the family is, is kind of more uh, engineering, math, science driven. My brother. As a doctor, I went to law school because I had to do something because he went to med school. Um, and but but definitely kid entrepreneur. I mean, I I started um, yeah I started playing guitar at six. I started songwriting at sixteen. I put out my first record at eighteen. I started uh, teaching kids tennis lessons in the neighborhood for ten bucks for an hour per kid. But did group lessons of five or six kids so I could make fifty sixty bucks an hour from the time I was like twelve thirteen. Um, I actually became a clown at fifteen because I found out they made one hundred fifty bucks an hour. I'm like I can make an animal. So I, I, let's just keep that between us girls. But uh, you know, but I was like yeah I, I can do that. So I made one hundred fifty bucks an hour being a clown. And then I went, um, I started my first screen printing company and embroidery company that my parents now, I gave it to my parents as I grew up. Um, but we did all the corporate uniforms for Mitsubishi Motors in the Southeast and Suzuki Motors in the Caribbean and, and South America. I worked my way up to those those clients. Um, and I ended up at University of Florida. I, I ran a t-shirt company that I basically printed all the fraternity and sorority t-shirts while I was there, which is like, you know, tons every week. Um and actually, uh, in that just interesting lesson, I, I was I always was selling, and I had a, I would just subcontract with people who had shops who would do it. I got this bright idea that I could make more money if I opened up my own actual screen printing facility, and learned very quickly the margins in manufacturing are very different than margins in sales. So I got out of that pretty quickly and just stayed with the sales side of it. I went to college. I was managing bands. Uh, I've been in music forever. I still write country music in Nashville once a month. I'm up there writing with some of the best writers in the world. Um, Tim McGraw, I just had one of my songs on hold. I mean, so I'm in that industry too. But awesome. as I was doing, 
Yeah, it's fun. As I was doing music stuff, my business partner, Jack, said, hey, Nick, uh, I bet if you did the same thing you do for bands and musicians, the branding and the positioning that you do for them, um, for business people, you would not only make a lot more money, you'd probably be happier because at the time we were managing, like he and I had started the company when I was in college. Um, he's my mentor. He's 30 years older than me, but we got in, we started an entertainment company and I was managing like five or six acts. And most of those acts are like three to five people. So it's like, it's like having like 15 to 20 kids and they all right. expect you to do everything. And so he, so <laughs> I, I got into this side of the business by him saying, Hey, you should probably think about doing the same things you do, uh, you know, for them, for business people. So we, there's a, a kind of whole drawn out story that I won't drag us all into but essentially that's what we started doing that's that's how i got into doing this and really i i figured out how to do it in the business world by doing it for myself by building uh we used Jack's strategies he knew in mind that i knew and kind of combined them it's actually what we wrote about in the book celebrity branding you i mean that's the system we used for me and we built me into one of the top billing entertainment attorneys in the country you know within me being a year or two out of law school billing at a thousand bucks an hour by using branding and positioning and personal branding and you know publishing and all the things that we can talk about but we tested it on me it worked and then we wrote the book and i've essentially spent you know the last i don't remember when the book came out now but i spent you know we've been in this business 10 years i've spent the last seven eight years you know traveling the world really uh sharing the message and working with now actually our client count is up to we're just under three thousand clients we're just crossed over 2930 i think in 36 countries around the world that's um, awesome so yeah, that's kind of how i got into it yeah got it so um not the question i was gonna ask next but i just want to ask how do you scale to manage that many clients and still deliver the same quality service as a great question, um, it's certainly it's people and process. And um, I was actually just at, at lunch, um, actually with my cousin and my uncle who are in real estate. And funny, um, it took them ten years to figure out that they might want to talk to me about their branding. But that's like you said, that's how it works, you know. Uh, my brother won't hire me probably because he knows me too well. Right, know? familiarity <laughs> breeds contempt. Exactly. So it, um, but I was talking to them about the fact that I, I'm thankful my business partner, Jack, has a lot more experience than I do, obviously, which helped a ton. And what I really didn't understand, I was telling them, you know, they're in real estate now saying, look, to do like 2X or 3X, like, oh, you guys are great people. You're great at what you do. Over time, you're going to make more money. You're going to get deals from referrals. I was like, but if you want to grow like 4X, 5X, 10X, if you want to scale, it actually all comes down to marketing and systems and those things are really actually pretty difficult and what is going to happen if you all actually i don't know that you do but if you wanted to grow that level one of you would most likely have to stop being an agent or even a broker and say hey this is going to be my gig now i'm going to run marketing and operations and we're going to scale and so I learned how to scale with my business partner, Jack. We have a lot of our programs uh, that ended up working great for us. Um, we realized that, you know, even even at $1,000 an hour, which is a great rate, by the way, um, you know, you can only do spend so many hours in a day or you yep. can only spend, you know, I, I now do my consulting days or my, my shoot days when I'm directing on site. It's $25,000 a day. And while that's still it's a spectacular rate, it's like, but but when you bill that way, you you can get really concerned about, your brain can start playing tricks yeah. with you. Like I learned this from the legal profession. Like a lot of lawyers, like have a hard time taking a vacation or cutting out of the office before 9 p.m. or whatever because they're working hourly. Like they won't get paid if they don't work hourly. So realizing that even high-end consulting is very much the same way. My business partner Jack and I created some group programs where. You know, like one of our programs become a best-selling author alongside, let's say, a Brian Tracy or Jack Canfield. Well, we des- deliver great service through our team and our systems to everyone in the book, but we might have 45 people in the same book, and I 
I probably did a teleseminar or they saw me at a conference or, you know, saw me speak in an event and they bought or signed up or spoke to one of my sales reps. But then the system happens and we're not publishing 45 different books. We're publishing a collaborative book with 45 different people. And we get to, we basically get to wash, rinse and repeat the same formula. So again, I don't, don't normally talk about all that stuff that way, but as instructive it is, yeah, rather than doing even very high paid individual consulting, um, man, the doing stuff collaboratively, doing group projects, doing group events, um, scales so much better. And, but then back again to, I have a great team, um, you know, and they do a great job and we have great systems that, you know, we have, to, we test them every now and then. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we find a kink and we, we retool, but it takes active management of that. Um, and just, I'll shut up in a second, but just remind me of another thing. It's kind of funny. Um, I have a friend who, um, owns a fish tank business. He does really well. Like he builds high end fish tanks in like, you know, nice office buildings and, uh, and other places. And he also has a service where he cleans the tanks like in nice homes and nice offices. He does, he makes a great living. I mean, his kids all go to school with mine in private school and he, he, he does well. And he, he said the other day to me, he goes, Nick, um, I really don't understand how you do everything you do. And I said, well, I can help you understand it pretty quickly. Um, because, you know, he sees my Facebook post. He sees me. I'm in L.A. directing the Jack Campbell show. I'm back doing a movie on Brian Tracy. I'm writing yep. songs in Nashville. I'm re- publishing my new book. And he's like, how do you do that? I said, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Um, do you send out all of your own invoices? Right. I will start there. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't. I was like, do you collect on your own invoices? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, do you answer your own phone all the time? He's like, yeah. Well, I have a team. And so I could go on and on and on. But it's just that's the the, the scale part of that is intriguing because if you can't get outside of – if yes. you're not willing to bring on a team, whether they're physical or virtual or whatever, you cannot scale because you're only one person. It just yeah. doesn't yeah. work. No, I love what you said because, uh, you know, talk about how you've worked with uh, Michael Gerber. In one of his books, he's got this thing called the 10,000 rule, and I love it. And I always think of it like how would you handle 10,000 leads? How would you handle 10,000 customers? How would you handle 10,000, you know, re- refund requests? How would you handle 10,000 anything? How would you train 10,000 people for your team? And when you think in those terms, right off the bat, you're thinking in terms of scale. And even though you can, like you talked about, charge a lot for hourly, you want to get out of that dollar per hour trap as much as possible. And like you said, for a lot of people, you know, um, I remember you talk about mentors. I remember I had a mentor once and I was really, it was before I was willing to bring on a team and work with a team. Cause I was like, yeah, but what if they steal my idea or, you know, they don't do as good as right. I do. And he was like, Daryl, you're just gonna have to accept that everyone is going to be a beta version of you. And it's up to you to create the training systems and processes to train them up to a decent enough level and manage them and make sure that they maintain that quality. But you're just not going to be able, like, there's just not enough hours a day to get everything done. And something that was really inspiring was I was, I was reading up on Dr. Oz and, you know, he does, he's like you, he does 101 things, but like, you you know, he does all these open heart surgeries and these books, but really there's an 80, 20 to it. And he only does the 20% that he has to do, you know, like a surgery. He's not opening the body. He's not doing all the prep work. He like shows up, he does what he has to do. He gets out of there and somebody else steps in and closes the patient up, you know, like it's that precision Absolutely. thing. And I just had a talk with that. I'm in the Philippines right now and I love entrepreneurialism and I went and I had one to get, um, massage because my back's been hurting long flight yada 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 so i'm getting a massage for my back and they're like well what about your feet your feet are dirty because I, I forgot to pack shoes and they don't have shoes my size so i'm walking in sandals it's been raining yada it's like sure yeah <laughs> let's clean my feet let's give me a pedicure okay what about a manicure boom so next thing you know i'm getting a pedicure a manicure foot massage hand massage back massage and the dude's like mom comes in he's like hey what about getting your ears clean i'm like sure like what not it cost me at the end of the day it cost me 27 dollars and i'm like you know like, nice. let's, let's go for it but when i was yeah. talking to them they were like they were saying, oh, like, I forget what it was, but they said something. I'm like, no, but you guys don't really understand. Like, if you're doing your own laundry, 
but you can pay less money to have your laundry done than you make here, you would be better off to just work here and pay somebody else to do that part. And it's kind of like what we we're talking about, like a team, like just do the precision work, right? Like if I could do my life, I can bill a thousand dollars an hour. It doesn't make sense for me to cook for myself or do my own laundry because I can hire that out for cheaper and I would be better off to spend that time doing what I do. And at the end of the day, you're net, you know, you're net zero. And I think if like what you talked about, if you get really precise with that and you build a structure and a team beneath you, you get to where you're at, like I said, where you're, you know, you're directing movies and stuff and you're just kind of walking in and out doing what you need to do and then you're out of there and other people are taking care of the rest of the stuff absolutely and so i agree with everything you said i think where people get sometimes trapped in in, in the the too simple we'll call it the four-hour work week although i love the book way of thinking is that you you know if you actually can't fill your time by getting paid more and you're just outsourcing everything you're gonna go broke so that that's where some people go get it wrong yes. but i did absolutely and it, and it floors me to, to that some people don't understand that like i know so many people who i could beat my head against the wall i could talk to them every day and they just will never understand that that simple principle that seems so basic to you and i i mean i can get some people to get it but like one of the big ones actually is like when you talk about scale like marketing so i i, I talked to um I was, again i was talking to my uncle at lunch and, and i was saying yeah we're spending you know whatever, spend 20, over $20,000 a month on Facebook marketing. And the first thing, like in his eye, he didn't have to say it. I knew he was going to say, well, man, I could never afford that. Right. And yeah, I, that's so much I money. Said, well, the only reason we're spending 20000 over 20000 because we started at two hundred and then 2000 It's returning at like six to one. So are you telling me that if you gave me, if if I told you I'd give you one hundred and twenty grand back if you gave me twenty grand? Do you think you can afford to spend twenty grand? He's like, right. of course. I'm like, okay, well, you this is you can't be thinking of it the way you're thinking of. Like, I'm going to spend two hundred forty thousand yeah. dollars a year with no expectation of return. Of yeah. you're being an idiot. Yeah. So you start and you start to scale, and and the concept of scale is so amazing because it's just what if I'm getting a one to one actually or better return if you're acquiring clients because you can sell more stuff in the back end. If I'm getting a one to one or better. You spend as much money as you can get your hands on. Now you just got now you're really just testing your systems, which is you know, I, I was saying too, we have uh, our sales agents in order for them to make their numbers. We've determined they got to be on the phone over like three and a half hours a day. And so, you know, the, it's really funny that now it becomes this, this really creative agency business. I mean, start parts of it are still really creative become these really, um, we almost have like a compliance officer making sure people's phones are working and they're on the phone three and a half hours a day or more, or else the system doesn't work. But it's really things that I just never would have guessed would be the important things when I started the business. Mm, of course, mm, you know, I, I, of course the other things are still important, but I spend, I, you know, we spend more time in those areas now than we ever did before. And I mean, thankfully those are not my gifts. So I have outsourced them to other people who have those gifts and I still spend my time in the creative realm most of the time. Um, but it's just, it's fascinating the things you learn that, um, that I never would have guessed I would be getting involved in, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, and in terms of scale, Claude Hopkins, one of the godfathers of modern advertising, he's got a great quote from his book, Scientific Advertising, let the thousands tell you what the millions will do. And, you know, and nice. when you do something often enough, you, like you said, you get a pattern, a pattern emerges, and you can just scale it up. So, yeah, no, I agree. So what kind of, and you just mentioned something that maybe we should talk a little bit about, that it wasn't the things that you expected to be a challenge. So what have been some of the biggest challenges for you in your career, and how have you overcome them? Like, have there been milestones? Like, first I had to figure this out, and then I had to figure that out, you know, and then this was a challenge. Like, looking back down your journey, were there big milestones and big obstacles that you had to overcome to, like, at each ceiling or plateau? 
Well, yeah, there were plenty of them. I mean, one of the reasons why um, I'm doing, I'm in business is because I was, and the, way, the reason I do the things I do for people is because I was so perplexed on how they really worked. And once I figured them out, I really wanted to share them with other people because they don't like media and PR doesn't work the way you think it should work or the way you've been told it works. And just once I figured that out, I was like, Oh my God, I got to share this. And then, yeah, I mean, some of the big plateaus were like, I mean, a like up to even a couple years ago, just to make our numbers as we were growing, I had to speak at two, let's put it, I had to do two really good JVs a month. So it had to be like a really great teleseminar with a big, you know, a big list, a guy who had a, or a lady who had a big list and would promote me and would do a big thing, or I'd have to be out or I'd have to do two good live in person speaking events where we moved enough, you know, enough of our services. And the problem is you never knew if two that you had were like the two that I have, are they solid or like, right. are they both ones I can take to the bank? I mean, you know, events get moved, especially in live events, people promise you a certain slot. They move you to a bad slot or they don't give you time to close or they, yeah. you know, they go right into the next speaker without a close break. I mean, all these things that you know about if you do it enough. And so the problem was I was really just like, I was traveling and so busy because I never, because all of the sales, like at first, and that is 70, 80% at least were reliant on me and my joint ventures. And it was just wearing. And as we had our third child, she's just actually started a transitional kindergarten today. She's a summer birthday. We don't want to put her in kindergarten, but she's ready to go to school. So they have at our kids school, they have an all day program, same time as my other boys for the first time in life. My in 11 and a half years, since my oldest one's been born, my wife has going to have five days at home, you know, to do her own thing where the kids aren't at home, some all part of the day together. So it'd be pretty amazing. But from the time we had our third, my wife's like, Hey, you know, I'm really thankful because what she wanted to be a stay at home mom. And she's the best I've ever seen at it. And that's what she wanted to do. And she's like, I'm so thankful that you work hard enough that we can do this. But like, as we're having a third one, like you can't be gone all the time. And I wasn't gone all the time, but I was probably traveling 15, 16 days a month. And if you put those together between weekdays and weekends, I mean, it's a lot. It's almost, it's, it's almost half the time. I didn't do that a long time. But let's say it got to be a period of a year or two where I was gone, let's say eight to 15 days a month. And, um, She's like, you just, I, I, I can't do this without you. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's like, you know, your kids and I, we actually like you still and all that. So I'm like, yeah, I should probably hang around. So we actually, it's funny, um, just a, a good life decision that wasn't sure how it was going to work out. And a great business partner too, who said, hey, we'll figure it out. My wife and I decided, hey, I'm not going to travel more than seven nights a month. And if I'm gone for dinner, that's a half night. And so it made me start making better choices on instead of going to everything, hoping it panned out, which was easier to then go, well, maybe let me check into this event a little bit more, or now I'm going to have to choose, or am I going to songwrite for two days, or am I going to songwrite for one day? And again, the songwriting just came back into my life, uh, I, like regularly in the past year, we'll say, because I had enough people and enough sales systems now that uh, where I'm going this whole thing, not all of it is reliant on me. So where I think I really had the biggest breakthrough on that last summer, uh, my son wanted to go to this uh, summer camp in North Carolina with, and we live in Orlando uh, with his best friend. And it was a starter camp for a week. And it was in Asheville, North Carolina, nice area. And they normally do a two week camp, but they let the kids for the first year go to a one week. And my wife is like, ah, if he's going to do it, be away for a week, you know, for the first time, I would rather we just kind of make that a time where we go on kind of a mini vacation. Let's rent a cabin nearby, you know, 
and you, you know, you can do, let's try to have a little bit of time, but you can do some phone calls. You can work from there whatever. Um, and then we will make sure, you know, if anything were to happen or he didn't like it, we could just be nearby and take it home. And I was like, all right. And, and it was the first time I actually remember going, man, I'm going to be out of the office for a full week and everything's going to be okay. Because in the past, if I was gone for a full week, I was essentially losing 25% of my revenue. I was losing a quarter of the time I had to earn revenue. So that was a really big one, realizing we had finally, over the years, built a system that had enough lead generation and sales and everything else that it wasn't completely reliant on Nick speaking, coaching, selling. And that was that was a big one, just because the, that's fun. It's really fun starting out, but it just gets grading. And, and you find yourself, and I still do sometimes, because everything doesn't work out perfectly, but you find yourself fun you're on an airplane when you'd rather be like, you're just sitting in an airplane and you know, your, you know, your son has a soccer game or whatever. And again, I haven't missed, thankfully I was smart enough and they were young enough and I haven't missed a ton of stuff, but it would have been, it would be really easy. And I see how some people lose track of their whole lives and their kids' lives and everything else. And so that's why I think that I, I, I like to preach the message of scale because it's just so important. Right. Oh, it's so important. It's so important. And it's also important on keeping track of things that matter. And on the show, we talk a lot about building a seven figure business but really it's just mostly the goal is to help be able to help that many people and build something that you can leverage or does scale like that you know instead of trying to stay small and and mickey mouse because again when you think like even the 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 rule of ten thousand, when you think in those terms um you know it helps you figure out better problems to the solution at heart you know and i just want to bring this up because this is a great time to bring this up um talk about how you can see how people lose their lives you know um i saw this great little article and it's really short but it was the top regrets of the dying and it was this nurse who had been working in palliative care for 40 years and she put together a bullet list of five things that were the top regrets of people on their deathbed. And the first one was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Next is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Third, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And the last one is, I wish that I had let myself be happier. So a lot of us were so driven and so momentum-based. Uh, we had another expert talked about how entrepreneurs are momentum-based beings. We can get really caught up on that and lose sight of what's important, you know. And I think, like you said, now you've you 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 built the business, you've got the systems in place, and now it's really just about trying to design your lifestyle to maintain what you've built over the years, but give you back some of that freedom, right? And then also be able to leverage it so it can even live on past you, which I think is kind of like what a lot of entrepreneurs, where they you know maybe one day you'll want make it want to want it to be a sellable asset but even if you were to sell your business i think everybody wants you know they want that little piece of you i mean you put so many hours and blood sweat and tears into it right you want it to live on so um, right as opposed to just being trapped as a hamster in a wheel yeah absolutely and you know and, and let's be honest i don't know many people who didn't have to grind it out for some i mean this is our 10th right. year in business i'm like right. i'm starting to see the light in the last couple of years right i mean it's it's not like i'll just start and it'll be fine but it is about yeah i mean make sure that you have obviously your priorities in order and you sometimes you got to make hard decisions and they suck but it's just what it is but yeah i mean it, it's absolutely that and the what's i think what's interesting about it now is it's like there's always like you can't I can't just go do whatever I want to do and take my eye off the ball. There's like this, there's this tension in between. Am I doing what I want to do and doing what I need to do? And and I, I love the analogy of a hammock. Um, someone used it in Bible study one time about, uh, and I don't remember exactly how they referenced it, but essentially without tension, a hammock won't hang. And so if you want to relax, it's cool, but you, there, it takes tension 
on both sides of that in order to allow you to relax. And so it's kind of learning to live within that hammock zone is kind of an interesting thing because there's these two, you know, where do I want to be doing? What do I need to be doing? And you're somewhere in the middle and you just got to figure out how to, how to learn to live with it, you know? Yep. 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 So what habits do you feel that you've had have really helped you on like through all those 10 years to your quote unquote overnight success? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Man, I think, um, I mean, I'm relentless when I want something to happen. Like, I will do anything. Like, if I set my mind to something, we're going to figure it out. I mean, you know, some things are impossible or you have to pivot or whatever else. But I think I think just sheer drive and determination because I knew, you know, when I was growing up, my parents, we had just moved to America. My dad had um, owned a car dealership with my uncles and brought in, you know, a new brand into America, Suzuki. And then they did really well for a bit, but then it kind of flopped. And my parents almost went bankrupt and really spent their whole life trying to make sure we didn't have to leave our, our home and our nice, you know, it was, a, I mean, not an amazing neighborhood, but a nice middle class neighborhood. So we didn't have to move school. So we didn't have to. And, and I just remember from the time I was like, it was all started happening, starting to see them really struggle with all that from the time I was like eight, nine, 10, like my formative years. And that's why I started teaching tennis lessons, all these things, not only to afford the things I wanted to do but like i i have this drive and and it actually can become a monster again you have to monitor everything but like i never wanted to let money control me the way i saw that they were in many ways you know kind of helpless like they couldn't they wanted to give us you know a, a better this or they wanted to go out to dinner more or give us more food or what but like just they couldn't and i just i i just knew that i didn't want that to be the determining factor in how I lived my life. And not that it was any of their fault. I just said, how, how can I reverse engineer this thing? How hard do I have to work? What do I got to do? Because I don't, I don't want, I don't want that to make, to control me. And so, you know, again, like I said, it could become a monster too, because you can make, you know, a hundred million and still be running from the monster because enough could never be enough. And I mean, all that sort of stuff. But that, I think that that's, that's probably my biggest one. I think then um, really being able to understand um, I mean, how would I put it? I don't know if I've ever talked about it like this, but like I, I have certain gifts that, you know, like we all do. There's certain things you're, certain things you're good at, certain things you're not. And I think um, over time being stubborn enough, but then also being willing enough to pivot where I didn't let them in school because I hated school. No, I, I didn't hate school. I just didn't like that they made me sit in a chair for an hour and told me what to do. I liked the friends and the social part. I didn't even mind the learning particularly, but I'm not a, I'm not a school guy. I'm an ADHD kid. I didn't really know what to do with, but like, you know, it, I, I was, so I didn't let them beat beat out my personality of me in school. I fought for that, but I learned how to pivot when something was stupid or wasn't going to work. And so kind of, I live my life on that tightrope right now of essentially a bit my business model that I mean, people are starting to copy it more and more as it becomes more successful as that happens. But I was able to create a space where no one really was because I, I wanted to be in entertainment, but I was practical enough to understand it might work better in business. And I kind of have this, you know, this line I walk where I get to use my skill sets, but be practical with them, but still enjoy what I do and still make money because I love, because I get to infuse my personality, my creativity, as Dan Sullivan called it, my unique ability and everything I do. And, and I've, now I embrace it. Whereas before, you know, in school, let's say if you're like, I finished my first law school exam in 18 minutes and we had three hours. Now I, I did that most all law school and some of the exams I did great on some, I didn't do so great on, but had I spent two more hours, I wasn't going to do any better. I knew what I knew. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I either studied right or I didn't. But, you know, for instance, in that case, like, you know, particularly in a younger setting, like law school, I could just leave when I was done. But like in second grade, if you finished the spelling test 
30 minutes before everybody else, like you're either taught that you're doing something wrong. The teacher's kind of frustrated because they don't know what to do with you now while they got to keep administering the test to, you know, 32 other ducklings. So you actually, a lot of us have these subconscious guilts in our minds of these things that we actually think we kind of bury somewhat because we're not supposed to do it that way. And, I, you know, thankfully through uh, great, you know, coaching with Dan Sullivan and, and his group coaching and everything, it feels like therapy sometimes. You learn to embrace, like, no, this is what makes you amazing at what you do. Now figure out, it's like your hacks for life. Like, you're better than everyone else at this. Now use these in productive ways to help other people more. And I think that was a really big breakthrough for me figuring that out too. Mm, mm, yeah, that's awesome. And just embracing your strengths and who you are. I think you're right. I think that, what is it there? Alan Watts, I'm really into, uh, well, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm really into philosophy, but I, I, on and off, I've studied all the world's religions, and I really love Alan Watts, and he talks about this whole thing about how people, like, you know, they, we basically train our kids to live the lives like we're living, but a lot of parents, a lot of people, they spend their time making all this money to hope that one day they'll make enough that they can stop doing this thing that they do to make money and do what they really love. And it's like all wretched yeah. no vomit because then you teach your kids to do that and they teach their kids to do that, to do this thing so maybe one day, and we're all, like, living and reaching in the future as opposed to why don't you just do... Like, why don't you just do what you want to do now and live how you want to do now and, you know, and stop listening to the shoulds and these things that people are imposing on you because in some ways people just want you to do it the way. Some ways it's like, hey, there's a path here. Just follow the path because what is it? The pioneers get the arrows. The settlers get the land. So, you know, save yourself the arrows, you know, save yourself from getting shot. Just follow this proven method. But a lot of things, you know, I mean, even the education system, there's like over a trillion dollars in student loan debt. Uh, the top was it? I, I only know this from 2013, but it was like the top 10 to, uh, jobs in demand in 2014 did not exist in 2013 so in a lot of ways like the education system is failing people but people are still like but that's what you do you go to grade one and then right. you go to grade two and then you go to grade you know and like that's what you do Dude. but it's not you know you're um, preaching you're preaching my language yeah, man yeah. i'm so with you it is um i i very much doubt my oldest is 11 and a half i i actually didn't pay for the Florida prepaid college because I'm so sure that it may not be exactly when he gets there, but like education is already being in total upheaval. And it's about, I, I do think the bubble is about to burst, but either way, like, yeah, just the way it's been done forever doesn't mean it's the best. And, you know, I mean, I would rather take a few arrows on the way to opportunity than the other. And, and I think, you know, it's, um, Look, the the things that we're taught to do, I mean, I, Dan Sullivan even says it this way, and we've mentioned him a few times, but, uh, and he says, look, you know, they tell you, you can, they teach you, you can be free and creative and do anything you want to do until you're five years old. Then they put you in school and spend the next 18 years beating it out of you. Meanwhile, they take, get you to take loans so you can learn to do something so you can then do that thing to pay off the loans so that then hopefully you can get back to doing what you're doing before you were five. Yeah, 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 and yeah, it's, yeah. It's bizarre. <laughs> And, you know, and here's the other thing, too, like, and I have a personal philosophy about education where everyone listens to this call, it's because they're just trying to gain information stuff, and they're going to listen to a lot of stuff, but there's only going to be a few gems that will stick with them. And I have a personal, like, I believe in just-in-time learning, whereas, like, if I've got to memorize this textbook of stuff, you've, we've all heard, like, you got to read it seven times before it sticks in your memory, yada, yada, yada. But if you're, like, going to your friend's house for a barbecue, and you're lost, and you stop and ask someone for directions... 
You don't need to recite that seven times. You don't. You know what I mean. You don't need cue cards. It's like, oh, I'm hit. A, I hit a wall, or I hit like a block, and there's no bridge. I ask someone about the bridge. They tell me where the bridge. Like I just go, and it just clicks in like a puzzle piece. There's not all this need for rote memorization and like regurgitating facts. It's like, oh, yep. I have a problem. Oh, that solution. Boom, and move forward. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of preparation. But you know, if I have the blueprints for a 12 story building, Lego building, and you're on level four or five. Everything I have about level six is irrelevant to you, unless it's something that might affect what you're doing today. You know what I mean? And so, in some ways, like, yeah, I think, I think, I think uh, education is going to change drastically. I think specialization is going to be huge. And, anyways, I don't know. We can go about that all day. Yeah, every day. Michael agrees. The whole deal. I'm with you. I'm, I yeah. feel you. Yeah. But all right, so let's talk about what are some of the biggest mistakes you see entrepreneurs and business owners making? Like when someone comes to you, like you mentioned before, like when you learned how media and PR and all this stuff works. Like you said, like it worked differently than how you thought it worked you know what are some of the big mistakes you see entrepreneurs and business people and people not, uh, making because they just don't understand yeah so the, I'll, I'll kind of distill it down to kind of like a uh, we'll talk about it as if there's a business that we all know uh, typically at some point in someone's business they figure out if they want to grow past a certain point it's not typically a very small business but like if a business wants to grow and they're maybe the million dollar two million dollar mark they, they got a good business they at some point realize someone tells them or it clicks in their head like I got to get my name out there more. I got to get, you know, more name recognition. I got to brand myself better. I, gotta, I need some PR. I need some, like, there's just like, you know, there's a right. stage of a business where they realize in order to grow, I need to do this. Right, right, now, right. what no one tells them is that I call it the business trifecta. And in order to be running on all cylinders, your business has to be running on all three of these things. Most of us rely on one, maybe two. Hardly ever do you find a, a business running on all three, but it's the three things, media, marketing, and PR. And, and, what people don't understand, so when they get to this point where they want to grow, they typically will hire a PR firm or media firm, and essentially what they do is they punt on they'll they spend some dollar amount a month, three thousand dollars a month, five thousand dollars a month, ten thousand dollars a month to try to get this PR firm that works hard for them, by the way, to get their name in the newspaper or to get an article written on them or get on Good Morning America or whatever. And what they don't realize is that once that event has occurred, it's immediately in the past and nothing really happens. If you get even some activity, it's for a short period of time because, you know, Good Morning America this morning is different than the one on yesterday. Like yesterday's already yesterday's news. Like no one who watching today is going to see what happened yesterday. Right. And so while you get amazing amounts of credibility and stuff from it and awareness, we'll call it the best thing you can get out of it is the footage. If you can get it to show, you know, a good interview and help you if they're even talking to you about what you do. And the fact that you can say I was on good morning America, which lends a lot of credibility to you. So what, but what really drives revenue is marketing. And so most people, the biggest mistake I see is people relying on things that are not revenue drivers to drive revenue. So media and PR, no revenue, credibility and awareness, or no, certainly lasting revenue. Marketing is a machine that you could crank it up and when done right, you know, it's an ATM machine with multiples. You put in one, you get out five, you put in three, you get out eight, whatever it is. And so I, most people never take the time to learn how marketing works. And most people can run a small business without really much marketing. But if you really want to grow, you really, again, like I had that conversation at lunch, like if you want to grow and scale, somebody here has got to learn marketing. Like, right. yeah, you can hire a marketing, a chief marketing officer or what I mean. And that's, that is an option, but like probably no one's going to be as into it as you are. And so yeah, I mean, just, yeah, people just don't understand and don't learn marketing and they, and they think PR and media 
like we'll help them sell millions of books. We'll bring them millions of dollars in business. And it just does not. It does not work that way. It's great for credibility. It's great to to demonstrate who you say you are. Like Michael Jackson could call himself the king of pop forever. But until the first newspaper wrote it, uh, whoever was at USA Today, now it means something. And so you do have to have, you have, you have to get that third-party credibility from media sources. You do need PR so people know what you're doing. They can learn about you if they Google you or whatever. But marketing is what drives revenue. I think just a ton of people make that simple mistake. Got it. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Um, especially what you said about small businesses. And for people that, you know, they might have a small business be okay, but they want to avoid peaks and valleys and feasts and famine. You know, you really need to be able to like generate income on demand, essentially. And a ton of it is list building. Now, I, what do you feel like this? For me, I really boil it down to traffic and conversion. And a lot of people think they have a traffic problem, which is like what you talk about. I'm going to get on Good Morning America and I'm going to get a million people to hear about what I do and my life's going to be changed. But they get on there yep. and there's a million people that hear about them and they get like a 0% conversion rate because they don't have like a, a sales process. They don't have a marketing funnel. They don't have a, how do I take a complete stranger, get them to know who I am, get to understand what I can do for them and get them to take that initial first step to test or try it out. Is that kind of, you know, and so for us, it's often focus on your conversion first and we got some converts then go and, you know, ring the bells and, you know, and sound the fire alarm and all that and, you know, and get everyone to know who you are. Is that kind of true? Like, would you agree with that to a certain extent? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a lot of times it's trial by fire, of course, but like, right. yeah, I mean, again, the same <laughs> conversation about like Facebook ads. So then when you say that to somebody, hey, if I can make you 120 for thousand, if you gave me 20,000, would that be good? Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay, now here's my next question for you. What's going to happen? It's kind of like you mentioned from Gerber. Like, we get over 100 leads a day, new leads. Like, what? What, how are you going to work 100 leads? Like, if not, you're just going to waste 20 grand. Like, how are you going to work 100 leads a day? So, like, let's start having that conversation. And, again, you wouldn't turn it all on at one time. I think that's another huge mistake people make. Yeah, they, they, they turn it all on at one time. So, for anyone listening, if you're ever going to test direct mail or Facebook ads or let's say you want to send a direct mail piece to 20,000 people. That's a lot. Let's even say 2,000 people. The big Because that's, like, probably the minimum number you can really know if it works or not. Like, don't send 2,000 at once. Send 100 today, a couple hundred more in a few days, and you will find all these holes in your system. Like you might have sent out the first piece, didn't even have the phone number on it. Oh, crap. If you send out 2,000, you, you, you're, you're screwed. And so it's like incrementally learning, even though it's, it would be exciting to blow it all up right now. Unfortunately, sometimes when you blow things up, they never exist again. So, you know, so like incremental testing is just huge. Right, right. Yeah, test small, roll out what works. Gary Halbert had a great formula for that. He said he had a formula for direct mail success. I think there might be a lot of value in that for people listening to this call. And it was in the Boron letters that he wrote for his son Bond when he was in uh, in prison for, for – In the lockup. Uh, yeah. yeah, in the lockup. And he was like, you know, you basically you, – you first you need to find a hot market. And, of course, you start with the market first. And then you create you, – you find a product ideally for him it was paper and ink um, and then after that you create a direct mail promotion to promote that product and like you said then you mail a thousand a thousand letters and you take a look at the results and take a look and if it was marginal maybe you can come up with some ways to improve it like you like you mentioned like hey we did okay but we didn't have the phone number on there. We should really have the phone number, you know, like ways to improve it. Or it was a decided loser and you move on. He's like, but if you mail 1,000 and it works, then you try mailing 5,000. If that works, then you start mailing 10,000. If that still works, then right. you just start rolling out taking care of business. And I think that that's, yep. there's a lot of truth to that. You know, it's crawl, walk, run. Um, and, the, that you know, I'm reading this. Yeah, I, I had somebody tell me about this thing. Like they call it the 20 interviews that you should try to have anytime your company's doing any sort of pivoting or you realize that your sales reps are kind of having a different conversation 
impression than the than what you're the sales you're making on your website. Like you still have potential customers, but it's a little bit different, right? Because the conversation they really need to have the twenty interviews. You need to really get and like have face to face over the phone, kneecap uh, at a minimum over the phone, but ideally kneecap to kneecap conversations with at least twenty prospects with each medium you're trying to sell, whether it's through content marketing, whether it's through paid ads, whether it's through outbound or inbound phones. Each of those you kind of need to get that really grassroots kind of touch and feel like hey who are you what do you look like what do you smell like what are your pain points what you know like let's have some real human interaction here before you start right. trying to blow it up scale it up and automate it because otherwise garbage in garbage out right um yep. yeah 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 so that's awesome nick that's great so um Wow. Well, you talked about your habits, talked about that. I mean, what would you recommend anyone who's listening right now? And they're like, okay, well, I'm an expert or I'm a consultant or I've got a company that's two million, but we want to help with our brand and getting out there. Is there any advice that you would give them and how do the, how do they do that? They're like, okay, I've kind of got a sales process. Like, is there, I mean, obviously we don't have, we only have like, what, we got like 20 minutes left, but I mean, is there, what would you recommend to someone who's struggling and starting out, whether they're $2 million and just trying to, like you mentioned, trying to, they're working with these media companies or whether it's a a personal consultant, how how do they start? How do they approach that? Like how do, all right, I want to get media and PR behind my back. Like what what do you do? Is there like a branding audit you can do? Like, look, the fundamentals one, two, three, like. Um, not as much the, uh, of an audit as like, I would just start here. Like, First of all, you've got to determine in a non um, – <clears throat> this is going to sound obvious, but not many people do it well. I'll give you that. It's just fresh in my mind. I sat down with my uncle and my cousin trying to grow their real estate business, and I said, look, you know, every real estate agent essentially seems the same to everybody. And for the most yep. part, they all do the same things. Yep. But, like, what can we talk about? What conversation can we start with people to show them that you are different? And once you figure that out, then it becomes like – it, it, it's like all of the all of the f- haze goes away. You know who your ideal client is, you know, because you've taken the time to really just distill it down. And so, you know, but um, this, and a lot of times it's it's all about just talking about it as a process, number one, and number two, naming it. So as a process, like, you know, there was a commercial years ago. It was like one it was one of the beers, like a standard domestic beer, whatever it was. Like they talked about we cold filter it to this and we do this. And everyone like all this technology in the beer, essentially, people are like, wow. And come to find out like everyone does, but no one else talks about it. So it was amazing because no one knew that. So I said, you know, look, like you probably have this system in your office that, of course, you run people through to close, you know, on time and to close on on the right money and not get into problems. And a lot of other people probably have a system too. But if you called it your 32-point no-hassle guaranteed closing system, I mean, I don't know. You may not be able to say guaranteed with the compliance. I don't know. But if you put a name to it, and especially if you trademark it, then now no one else can even call it that. And you right. know if someone else starts promoting a 32-point hassle-free guaranteed closing system that they're stealing all your crap. Yep. And so you can go not only stop them, but, you know, it's like if you walked into, you know, I don't know, Jim's Coffee and they offered you a grande or a venti or a – like. Starbucks would know they were ripping them off because Starbucks yeah. just took sizes and put their own language to it. Yeah. But there's just – so first of all, you guys just distill what is it that you're really good at and start talking about it and and then start putting names to it. Once you have that, that becomes starts to become part of your story. Now, now you're worth talking to. Now you're worth talking about because you're not just like – you know, I mean no news anchor is really excited to interview another – 
real estate agent or another doctor or another dentist or another right. lawyer. Just like they might need to find someone to give them a you know a snippet in an article because they've got to talk about why this you know the mayor's son died of botched heart surgery and what or what you know whatever I mean whatever it is or like Joan Rivers dies of the plastic surgery operation you know they're gonna have to find somebody who they can quote so they have some authority to the article yeah. but they they'd much rather find somebody who's unique and different like somebody like this is this is their thing you know and so I think that's where I just tell people to start as far as getting PR I mean there's a bunch of do-it-yourself stuff and a, and and there's a bunch of firms you can hire. I mean, we do a lot of it. We do it uniquely. We guarantee it. I'm not saying to hire us, but I, I mean, I don't mind if you do, but my main <laughs> point there is that, you know, like just understand what it's for and understand how much of your resources to put into it. It's funny. Um, uh, NASCAR, right? I don't watch, I don't really watch NASCAR, but I heard it one time. I think it's a great rule. They, t- they tell their sponsors of their cars for every dollar you put into sponsoring the car, you need to put an equal dollar to marketing. The fact that you do what you do and you sponsor the car. Mm. And I, I think it's like a great PR and media rule too. Like you don't spend 90% of your budget in PR and media at best 50% because you need the other 50% to market it. So I think that those are a couple places I would start. Yeah, no, I, re- I really like that. And what I like about it also you said, not only is it because now if you find out what you're really good at, you develop a process and then you name it and you trademark it, not only does that, again, for positioning-wise, it kind of helps you put that stake in the ground, but it also then becomes a standard service offering or a standard product offering that you have that you can now, now that you've got your head wrapped around it, you're getting out of doing, oh, well, we do anything and everything, you know, because it's just... Nobody wants to go and see the most generic person in the world. Often, like, especially if something's important to you, especially if you get, like, really frustrated, you know, you want to start getting people who are the best. Like, I want to know who's the best at this. And there's something called the income earning ladder. And at the bottom of it are generalists. And, like, take a dentist. The general dentist can earn what any general dentist can earn. And above him is a specialist, like an orthodontist. And the reason why people are willing to pay more money for an orthodontist is because while the dentist could probably figure it out and get it done, the specialist has more specific training and knowledge. So I'm willing to spend that money because I have better confidence that they will do quality work. People who earn more than specialists are the trainers of specialists. And the reason why I would pay a trainer of specialists more is that even if I might not get the best person out there, because they train other specialists, I have more confidence that I will at least get industry standard level care. And right, like I'll at least get the industry standard. And then right. like a person above that who makes way more than the other ones uh, would be the celebrity. And that's because of the law of supply and demand. Like Dr. Phil, he's probably not the world's greatest psychoanalyst or psychotherapist, but because he has a TV show of millions of followers, if he auctioned off an hour of his time, right, he can make a ton of money with that. So what I really like about what you mentioned is, you know, you get a really standard service offering and thing, and then you can specialize on that. And then you can build that team and train them because it has edges. Like you can kind of, hey, this is the start. This is the result. And you kind of predict it whereas if you're constantly doing custom stuff for people it's just really like how do you train someone to do that hey i need you to do this this today but tomorrow you're gonna have to do this 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 and the day after you might have to do that 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 instead as opposed to like look hey you just show up you do these 10 steps there's a checklist you know now you can try and figure out like hey like let's get a quality rating in here let's do this 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 to make sure customers rate at least eight and a half out of ten so not only does that help you with your marketing and your positioning but just even from a business standpoint like that tip you gave i think is really valuable for people i want to make sure people didn't miss that so um so nick what are you doing now what are you really excited about if people are listening to this and they're really feeling your message and they really like your style and they want to get involved or they do want to come work with you what are some of the best ways that they can get in touch with you how do they get to learn more how do they get involved 
Yeah, I mean, so I love that. I mean, the <clears throat> the best thing they can do is go to celebritybrandingagency.com. And then, of course, we have a bunch of content on there, but they can also uh, opt into our list. And if they do for your listeners, so they just opt into the newsletter. When you get your first, like, the autoresponder that comes back and say, hey, you know, we have we got you, whatever, just reply to that and say, hey, I heard Nick on Daryl's podcast, and uh, he said he would give us a free copy of Story Selling. So we'll, send, we'll email you a copy of our Wall Street Journal bestseller, Story Selling, uh, which really kind of breaks down – I mean, just how to sell without selling by telling your brand story, which is a great one. And then also you can download our book, Celebrity Branding You, for free on the site as well. Of course, they're available on Amazon and Kindle and all that. But that's where I'd start. I mean, getting whether you're going to buy anything from me or not, that's fine. But getting on my list, you will start to learn. We educate a ton and you'll start to learn the way we think through things. So if nothing else, they, they can get some more content that way. OK, perfect. So what, okay, were the URL? what was the URL again? Uh, celebritybrandingagency.com celebritybrandingagency.com so if anyone didn't catch that um, go to celebritybrandingagency.com sign up for this newsletter when you get the first email just reply let them know you heard from here you're going to get a free copy of his book story selling and also through the site and get a copy of the celebrity branding is the celebrity branding you that's the name of the book isn't it Yep, Celebrity Branding You, yep. Yeah, awesome. So And a story selling, too. So Celebrity Branding You is available online for free at the site, and we'll email you the copy of Story Selling if you just reply to the first email, one of the emails you get, and say, hey, Nick said he'd give us the copy of this. If you can't find Celebrity Branding You, just email back and say, hey, can you email me the PDFs of Celebrity Branding You and Story Selling, and I'll tell my team to do that, too. That's so awesome. Nick, thank you, because I know you could have been with your family. You could have been doing other things. You could have been doing 101 other things, but you came here and you decided to share and help some of the listeners. Obviously, you might get some business out of it, but again, I just really appreciate your time. I appreciate you being a role model and example, like I mentioned, for like a decade. I've been watching you with booths and on stage and do your thing, and it was just a really, a really, it was a real honor to be able to sit down and just have dinner with you and everyone else there, and again, to connect with you as we have since then, and so I just want to thank you on behalf of my listeners and myself just for sharing and being so open and candid about you know the experience and the reality of what it takes to be successful so thank you man i um, my pleasure dude uh back at you it's been uh it's fun watching you grow too so i'm sure we'll do uh we'll get into much more mischief together and more <laughs> meals and some more drinks so sounds good to me uh enjoy the philippines and we'll chat soon all right sounds like a plan take care you've reached the end of our interview now first let me thank you for listening i appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build.
and I believe in you.